but I thought the 80s team could have won a number of championships, not just one. 87 is the one year that sticks out in my crop. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guests are Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez. Presented by GEICO. Oh, boy. Here we go. One of my two guests was a big game pitcher. The other was a clutch hitting gold glove first baseman. He loves when I say that. For the terrific New York Mets teams back in the 1980s, including that great season, the 1986 World Series champions. Today, they are regarded by men. Certainly us Mets fans, including yours truly, because I'm the one who put it out there first, <laughs> as the best baseball analyst duo in the nation. My dear friends, Ron Darling and uh, Keith Hernandez. Good to see you guys, boys. Thanks, Boomer. Thanks for Good having to us. See you. So what was it like, and why are you guys so good now when you first started we're in spring training and right before we went on air there's Keith and I and Gary and I felt it's like Gary it, Cohen Gary Cohen yeah. sorry and it felt like it was five seconds but it probably was more and Keith said oh by the way you do the pitching I'm doing the hit <laughs> and that was <laughs> well it wasn't a command oh, yeah. it just was we'd never been together Gary had never done TV right he, it's his first time uh, being play-by-play -play on TV he was always a radio guy he was a little nervous, and Ronnie had one-year experience over in Washington, and I had just was with MSG. I was doing like 30 games for a couple of years, and it just made sense to me. I mean, what do I know about pitching? That's Ron's mm -hmm. field, and that's what I think makes the broadcast so good is that we have a pitcher perspective from Ronnie and then the, uh, the hitting from me. Now, Gary, your play-by-play -play guy, is awesome as well, and I swear he should manage the Mets. <laughs> I, he knows more than the managers do. Well, I, I think at times he does manage the Mets. He uh, does like the manager. <laughs> <up there. laughs> no, but uh, it, I, I always think of uh, Gary, to me, the best play-by-play -play guy in the business, in my estimation, but I think for Mets fans, he's like the caretaker of Mets history. On every broadcast, he brings stuff up that Keith and I look at each other because he doesn't know it, Days and I certainly don't. Of course, know it. yes. Yeah. But he holds the broadcast together, and uh, you know I can kind of like roam out. out. Yes, yeah. I can kind of fade out <laughs> yeah. a couple times and right. take a half inning off. Yeah. Uh, Gary, when it's a ten nothing game, one way or the other, in the third inning, that's when he shines. He's a professional. When, when did you realize that you wanted to do TV? I didn't. Um, I had an agent, my first agent was David Katz, young agent with Don Buckwald. And he mentioned that, you know, you should be doing Met games. Were you interested? I said, no, I'm not. Uh, and we exchanged numbers. And um, he just kept in mind, if I call you every six months, and he did it for around two years, and finally said, I said, okay, I'll do it. And then the MSG, I started with there and uh, was just started out with like 15, 20 games. You know, I kind of expected you to do it because, number one, you're better looking than him. Uh, <laughs> I know uh, you, know, you have a face for TV. You definitely <laughs> do. Uh, but you're also, you know, you went to Yale. You're an author. You speak well. And uh, when did you know that you were going to be ready for this? Well, um, you know, I think like most ex-ball players, you feel like you're not ever going to go in the booth because uh, you think that there's more out there mm -hmm. when you don't realize that that's the greatest thing because... Everyone ends the same way, unless you're Sandy Koufax or someone else. We all end up not very good. <laughs> and, and the game wants to push yeah. you aside. Once I got in the booth, 
what I had forgotten is I love this game. The amazing thing is you guys are both in national broadcasters as well. You break down pitching as well as anybody does. You break down hitting and the fundies, as you like to say, yes. the fundamentals. Why not coaching? You're not going to get me at the ballpark at 12 noon and get home <laughs> at midnight. That's why I love it. <laughs> You're I am not going to spend 12 hours at a ballpark. I'm mean, like a baseball race. Call them stadium rats. Right. And uh, at today's game, the coaches with all the analytics, they are there at uh, 12 noon, and they're going over for a 7 o'clock game. So I don't know what the heck they're doing for seven hours, but they're, they're prepping for a game. I, I think for me, I, I really respect coaching. I think it's a very difficult thing to do. I think I can break down pitching, but to have the communication skills to work with 10 or 15 different pitchers, throughout the year and get the best out of them, I don't think I have that talent or skill. Yeah, I would also think that we would get frustrated if we did go into coaching. Alrighty, in the 1980s, Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling enjoyed teammates' perspectives on New York Mets, Phenoms, Dwight Gooden, and of course, Daryl Strawberry. 25 years later, from the broadcast booth, they are now witnessing the emergence of another great Mets pitcher. That would be Jacob deGrom, and of course, another young slugger in Pete Alonzo. I mean, first of all, I have a love-hate relationship with you guys. Uh, I love you guys <laughs> as broadcasters, and I loved you guys as players, but I thought the 80s team could have won a number of championships, mm. not just one. What do you think about that? 87 is the one year that sticks out in my craw. We lost at, uh, all of our starting pitchers. Yeah. St. Louis won that year, but they had a lot of injuries too. Uh, they lost Tudor that year okay. for a long time. But at one point, we lost all five of our starters. And down the stretch, he was our best pitcher. I think 85 to 88 was our run. Um, you know, in today's game with the two wild cards, we certainly would have been in the postseason, but it wasn't those times. And that, I think, was our best teams. But you can't take away the fact the Cardinals were really good. Yeah, they, they were a great they ball were. club. And so instead of having an historical team, we had an historical year. You did. And there was no question those two players that I mentioned, Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, were the up-and-coming. They were going to be the foundation of the Mets. Now we see guys like Jacob DeGrom and Pete Alonso. Now Jake won the Cy Young Award last year. I think he could pitch in any era. To me, he seems like a throwback type of guy. He's really focused, doesn't get caught up in all the drama. He does remind me a lot of the way that Tom Seaver used to carry himself. I think he's one of the most remarkable young men I, I've ever seen. What he went through last season and into this season, where there was no run support, uh, not a lot of great play behind him, and he never, ever lost his focus. He never, ever said publicly one time that, boy, I wish we scored more runs. He got angry. I mean, those are the natural human things that you would do. He never did that, just eye on the prize. Pete Alonso just starting, hitting home runs, hitting for average. Seems like a great kid, walk-off wins. I mean, he really has brought an excitement to baseball, not just the Mets, I think baseball in general. Well, I like this young little core of young players, everyday players that we have on the Mets right now. They hustle, they're into the game, they want to win, they, got, they play with exuberance and energy. Pete is very focused at the plate. He has a very good approach. He's one of those analytic guys. He studies the pitchers, and there's a lot of things you can draw from analytics that are good. Uh, there's did some I, things did I, just I hear would. that. Yes, you did. Did I actually? But just there's a lot that? of stuff you can throw away, but there's some, <laughs> there's some good. There's some good uh, information there. His approach at the plate is the same. He doesn't get flustered if he's 0 for 3. His last at bat is as good as his first at bat. That means he's going to be long term. He's going to be good. Oh yes. He's a competitive. He's a competitive hitter, much like Jake is a competitive pitcher. Now let's think about this. There are a lot of mm -hmm. great young players now in baseball. Well, I, I think it's very funny that the game has changed so quickly. If you asked this five, seven years ago, what would people say? You have to get as many big arms as you can, and they're going to be the foundation of your team. It's completely different now. 
the thing, if you look at all the good teams in baseball, they all have guys that are early, young, early in their contracts, guys that play every single day, Mookie Betts and others. I mean, that's the wave of baseball right now. Yeah, and it's young and it's cheap when it's, it's young. It, right. That's exactly. the thing. And we're going to get into some of the analytics. I know you guys make fun of the analytics, but I know that you also talk about the analytics and how impactful they can be. All right, in his new book called 108 Stitches, Ron Darling contends, at times today's game, baseball 2.0 that is, doesn't even look like the game I used to play. Now, meantime, his broadcast partner, Keith Hernandez, questions why today everyone uses stats instead of their eyes to evaluate players. And he claims that current reliance on analytics is worsening the game on the field. So here you go, boys. This is your chance to oh, basically rip into analytics. I, I think the analytics are an amazing gift to try to judge players that you want to acquire in the offseason. The problem is, is that the, what they're doing is they're trying to hedge their bets, right? So it's like a hedge fund. They're trying to hedge your bets over a long period of time. If you make these moves consistently, then in the long run, you're going to end up better than you were if you didn't make those moves. The problem is, is that baseball is played by humans. My problem with it is I like how they analyze stuff, but in the real time, mm -hmm. when you've lost three straight and you have a guy in first base and you need to win this game, sometimes you have to do something. The old school stuff. Old school stuff right, just right. to get your team away and then move on. You actually openly moan about this on the air. Yes. at times, which is kind of funny, which I like, because you're kind of old school, I'm old school. What bothers you the most about this? If I was a coach today, I would try to get the players to think for themselves. I don't want them running back after the game and going to the video room. I want to have them talk to themselves and say, how did Boomer Esiason pitch you the entire, and be able to tell me, which I was able to do, mm -hmm. and I always encourage my teammates, is how did Don Sutton pitch you? Pitch by pitch, all four at-bats. The computers are fine, but don't become too reliant on it. The young managers, yes. the guys that are not making the big money anymore, are they making the lineups today, or is the front office making the lineups? I think that there's a concerted effort where people are meeting in a room, and decisions are made on who plays, not only by numbers. He's four for eight against them with a home run. It's also swing path. It's a velocity path, uh, how hard they oh, swing, God. how hard the guy is throwing. If he spins the ball a lot, if he's a more of a breaking ball hitter, there's a hundred things that come in, and then it spits out this lineup, and at some point everyone goes, that's the one. You know what's amazing? This, this goes back to what you were talking about. What are they doing from like 10 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock yeah, at night? Well. This is what they're doing. I guess this is what they're trying to figure out. Oh, so. Yeah. You're saying it's a collaborative effort then? Yes, the, it's, it's no a meetings with the manager. manager. It's meetings with the manager, but the manager is not going to have the final say. Hey, can I ask you one question? Yeah. So let's say a pitcher, you know, is, I don't know, 10-0, and 0, and he has a 2.5 ERA with one catcher, yeah. right? And then he's thrown to another catcher, and he's got a 2-7 and seven, uh, record, and mm -hmm. he's got a 5.9 ERA. So what... what why wouldn't you put him with the catcher that he feels more comfortable with? And I don't want to name names, but we all know it's <laughs> no <Noah> similar. <laughs> well, I, I think w one is that it's incumbent on the manager to know those numbers you just gave and say to himself, hey, listen, so-and-so um, uh, gives this pitcher the best chance to play. That being said, sometimes that's overruled because the player that he doesn't have a great work record with provides you the best offensive lineup of the day. I've had relationships with catchers. I couldn't stand them. Give and me a we, name. Give me a name. I can't give you a name. Oh, come on, give me a no, name. I can't give you a name. <laughs> um, I, I didn't like the person as a personality. Right. He didn't like me. 
But on the field, boy, we could make it work. It was it was great. I never worried about this stuff when I played. I, I'm sure you guys did neither. It's something that we all have to get used to. You, a man who hates analytics, do you like the shift? You don't like the shift? I mean, you're a defensive fundamental guy. I think if you want to shift, go ahead and shift. The people that want to take shift out of the game, if you want to shift and you want to keep pulling the ball into three guys on the right side of the infield, then be my guest. Um, but they wouldn't be able to shift on me. I mean, I would hit 400 if, right. they, if they moved to give me the left side of the but infield. Why, but why don't more players? Because it's home run. That. It's all, all right. So, what about the proliferation of home runs? Is this something to do with the ball? Is it something to do with the bat? What's going on here? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Major League Baseball wants more runs and wants more home runs. They're using the for the first time in AAA baseball, the National League, the a Major League ball, and they broke off, shattered the records for home runs throughout AAA. I mean, way over. Uh, the players are bigger and stronger. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The ballparks they made smaller. I don't understand. Swing angles, any of that kind well, of stuff? Well, it's, it's the attitude of the hitter. The attitude of the hitter when he comes to the plate is that he wants to hit the ball over the fence. He wants to hit the ball in the air. And so there's no interest in hitting the ball on the ground. You know, when you grew up playing, right, it was line drives or, or ground balls. That's what you did. These guys want to hit the ball in the air. It's that combination. Think about the home run record this way. 2014, only five years ago, the Baltimore Orioles were the only team that hit over 200 home runs. At the end of this year, there'll be 20 teams wow. that hit over 200. So there is a proliferation. Have you felt the ball this year? I have. And does it feel different to you? Uh, do you? When you touch a football, you know exactly how it felt from 30 exactly. years ago, right? Right, exactly. So I'm the same. I right? would even take some air out of it a little bit. I'm maybe. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. I'm, sure, I'm, sure someone, I'm sure someone that plays the piano knows the keys by heart. That's how you feel about your artistry with that baseball or you with the football and the ball certainly is different uh, it's it's not harder I would not say so you don't know I don't know anything about the core when you hold the baseball but the seams are completely different are they f they're not as raised they're not as raised even even just like infinitesimal they're not as rigid they're, and you they're not as raised it used to be a point where you could wrap your finger in a seam and you could feel it against I mean for my curveball I still have a scar here you would never raise a scar on a ball today so you love golf. If a ball has less seams, the ball's going to stay in the air longer. Right. If it's going to stay in the air longer, pitchers are in trouble. Well, my golf balls don't have seams. Uh, <laughs> how about you uh, when it comes to bats? I mean, I see, I see a different bat today. They're all shiny. They don't yep. look like the old Louisville slugger that you uh, used to swing. We used to use the white ash, and that was the only wood that you had, and it was very pliant. And uh, you swing. You are so rubbing off on him. It's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. You would wear. You would put the. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Uh, you should the label impressed. would be up, right? Yes. So the the, the uh, grain of the bat would be here, so the bat would whip on contact. Right. The maple bats now, and our good friend there, the late Rusty Staub, said the one thing that he would do would get rid of all these new bats of the maple because, and they evidently they're not they're hitting against the grain. Those bats are like lead pipes, and those are, we used to bone our bats, and right. it would take a long time, and groove them, and get them hard, and a lot of hitting, make them com compress. Yeah. These bats come ready-made. So, so we're all in agreement. It's bats, and it's balls, right? And uh, athletes. And athletes. Okay. So I actually got three, you got three attributes right there. How about the speed of the game? Why, why does Rob Manford want to speed everything up and get rid of everybody so mm -hmm. fast? I kind of enjoy going to a baseball game and enjoying all the nuances of it. Part company there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I like I like the two and a half hour game. Think about well, the uh, old National League game. I love those games. Yes, last year in complete games, 
and there were only a few, 41 or 45. Uh, incomplete games, the average time of game was 228. So until you have complete games again, yeah. you will never have that. Well, it's the proliferation of the bullpen That's right. yes. and the specializing in pitching and right. trying to do the matchups and the whole thing. I hate when they go out to the mound so many times, so I do, I do like the mound visit restrictions. I do like that. Yes. That's something we all can agree on? Ron, yes. Yeah. Ronnie made a great point that the game is made for bullpens now, and there's too many teams, and most of the bullpens stink. Oh, yeah. Well, I know that. <laughs> In their respective best-selling books, Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez each write that playing in the postseason was far different than it was in the regular season. I think mm -hmm. we can all attest to that. But what about postseason broadcasting is different? Mm -hmm. Now, I know you because I listen to you a lot on TNT. You're a different guy. Yeah, well, it, it's different. I, I think that when you're doing a regional broadcast uh, of a team, you're trying to really stay within the story and tell a story to the fans who are there every night in and night out trying to watch this team and you're trying to move the story ahead. I think in postseason action, you're trying to stay out of the story, you know? Yeah. Like you want to let the athletes play and I think that what I have to do in the postseason a lot, which I don't do in, do in the regular season, I think Gary does it, Keith will do it, I'll kind of talk about it, is that you manage a little bit. You know, you spend some time trying to talk about things that are going to happen in the future. I think I learned that from the GOAT, uh, Tim McCarver, did, who did that better than anyone. The difference with, uh, I think, national broadcasts is that it's more promotional of the game, of the product on the field, where we have more intimacy day in, day out with uh, the Mets broadcast, with our fan base, our Met fans. They get familiar. They're familiar with us. They're familiar with the players, and we can bring our expertise in. Where I always feel if I'm doing postseason, I feel like I'm up above. And I really, do I know about the Detroit Tigers? Have I seen them every day? Right. How do you judge a player by seeing a player play three, six games a year? You have to see a player play uh, pretty much, you know, every day and see what he's all about. Is is baseball in a good place right now? you think? Um, I think baseball is in a very delicate place. I really do. I, I think because of the, uh, I was thinking the other night, uh, the U.S. Open, Rafael Nadal, their, their match was uh, four hours and 51 minutes. The Mets game was four hours and 21 minutes. Can you imagine how much action happened at the U.S. Open that did not happen in a baseball game? So I think there's, uh, is gonna be, uh, there's a lot of things that baseball can fix, like all sports. I'm worried about the length of the games, uh, the ballparks, it used to be you bought your ticket and you went to watch the game, and that was the and that was the hook. Now you've got like a county fair around, right. and you've got all these other things going on where people can go and walk and and and, 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 and I, not sit and watch the game. And I know from watching you guys, you guys like to eat a lot during the broadcast. So who has the best sushi these days? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Gary's the sushi guy he is, in, okay. in our booth. You know, we, we were talking about sushi at a ball game. It's crazy, That's right? right. <laughs> All right, our thanks to Ronnie Darling and Keith Hernandez, and thanks to you for watching today. I'm Boomer Esaias, and we'll see you again right here on Game Time when Mark Messier pays a visit. That was great. Man. <laughs>